0: So we're looking at Numbers chapter 15, and uh, we're starting at verse 37. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes which you are inclined to whore after, So shall you remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Well, a couple of months ago, I got up one morning. It was Sunday morning, and uh, I had a suit that was in my closet that someone had given to me, and I had never worn it before. So I thought, oh, what the heck, I'm going to wear the suit today. And I guess I was surprised at people's reaction to me wearing a suit. And if you don't regularly attend here, I don't it's very, very rare that I wear a sports jacket or a suit. Uh, usually it's just weddings and funerals. And it kind of took everybody by surprise, and nearly everybody that I met that morning said something about me wearing a suit. And it also seemed to make some people feel a little bit uncomfortable, like. Why is he wearing a suit? Like, what, what's going on? Is there, is there some special announcement? Is something wrong? Did someone die? Like, what's the deal that he's wearing a suit? And I don't know, it just, it seemed like maybe people listened a little bit more attentively that week as well. And I've never been one to kind of dress for success or, you know, dress to impress, as they say. But I'm surprised at how powerful clothing can be. When I was in, uh, growing up in, Elementary school, I remember the the coolest thing, or I thought it was the coolest thing, was all my friends had these jeans called Janko jeans. They were these enormous jeans. You could fit like three people in each leg. And I wanted them so badly, but they were $80 for a pair. And so I didn't have any. And then finally, after a long period of time, we found some that were on sale, and I remember you know, putting those jeans on and walking around, and I thought I was the coolest person in the world because of these ginormous, horrid-looking jeans. <laughs> Clothing can have a powerful impact on those around us, and it can have a powerful impact on us. There was a study that was done at Yale University in 2014, and they took 128 18 to 32-year-old men And they put them into different groups. There were some that were dressed very poorly. They had, you know, wore sweatpants and uh, plastic flip flops. Then there were some that were dressed really well in suits uh, and ties and everything. And then there were some people that were control group that just kind of were somewhere in the middle. And then they had them engage in kind of mock negotiations. And what they found was the people uh, who were dressed poorly averaged a theoretical profit of $680,000. The people in the control group averaged uh, a profit of $1.58 million. And the group that dressed in Seuss imagined an average profit of $2.1 million. And the co-author of the study looked and kind of analyzed these negotiations, and they determined that the people who were dressed poorly often deferred to the people who were dressed well. And the people that dressed well had more confidence, and they were willing to kind of hold the line more because of what they were wearing. There's another study that was done where they found that uh, people who dressed in suits and nicer clothes tended to have a uh, Better abstract kind of CEO type thinking, less concerned about the details. They they concluded this. They said people who wear that kind of clothing feel more powerful. When you feel more powerful, you don't have to focus on the details. There's a study that was done by the Kellogg School of Medicine, and they determined that researchers did or, or students did better on test. Uh, measuring accuracy and attention span when they were wearing a white lab coat. White lab coats are often associated with science or doctors, and so when students had the lab coat on, they tended to do better on attention accuracy. But what was interesting is they changed it for some of them, and they told them that, for some, they just had them wear it, they didn't say anything, but for some, they said, uh, this is actually a painter's coat. And for those people who were told it was a painter's coat, there was no difference in their uh, performance on these measures. There's a university professor named Karen Pine, and she asked students to put on Superman T-shirts. And she wanted to know if that would impact how they interacted with one another, how they thought about themselves. And she found that the people who had Superman shirts on thought that they were stronger than people who didn't have Superman shirts on. They rated themselves as more likable, superior to other students. When asked to estimate how much they could physically lift, they said they could lift more than uh, students in a control group. Pine also did another study where she discovered that women tend to wear certain types of clothes when they uh, are depressed versus when they're happy. Uh, she found that there were three items that were, women were, were most likely to wear uh, when they were depressed: a baggy top, jeans or a sweatshirt or jumper; Most likely things that they would wear when they're happy would be a favorite dress, jewelry, and uh, jeans could go both ways. She says this on that study. She says, this finding shows that clothing doesn't just influence others, it reflects influences the wearer's mood, too. Many of the women in the study felt they could alter their mood by changing what they wore. This demonstrates the psychological power of clothing and how the right choices could influence a person's happiness. And she says something else elsewhere. She says something insightful. She says that not only that we are what we wear, but we become what we wear. So given kind of that background and kind of the power that clothing can have, uh, it kind of makes a little bit more sense why God would tell the Israelites what they should wear. He, in essence, gives them a little bit of a dress coat. Now, when we think about this passage, it seems so silly and so um, almost foolish. Like, why would God tell the Israelites to wear tassels that have a strand of blue on them? But in that day and age, tassels had a special significance. Tassels were actually uh, something that were worn by nobles and people of the higher class. So it was the more wealthy, you, know, people who wore tassels, as well. And then you think about the blue. Uh, why, did, why did he say that there should be blue? Uh, according to one scholar named Gordon Wenham, uh, these, the blue represents royalty and divinity. Uh, blue dye was extracted from a special type of snail was very expensive. And it was often used in religious contexts in in the nation of Israel. It was used uh, for the cover for the Ark of the Covenant. It was used in some of the priestly garments um, and in some other religious contexts. And so when you think about tassels that have a blue strand, it had an economic significance. It was people who were more well-off, who were of the nobility who wore them. And then it had a religious significance that it represented divinity and royalty used in uh, kind of the cultic aspects of Israel's worship. And so you think about that, and that, it's hard to come up with a parallel today, but I guess the best parallel, even though it doesn't have you know, religious significance, is if like a man was wearing a suit and a Rolex, or a woman was wearing uh, a nice dress and, and a necklace or a ring. You know, when you think about that, why would God tell them to wear these things, things that had economic and religious significance? I think that God told them to wear it because he wanted to remind them who they were. He wanted to remind them where uh, they had been brought from. I think God wanted to remind them that they were a kingdom of priests, that they were a special, holy nation. He tells them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord you're God. See, our actions flow out of our identity. And I think God uses this reminder of these tassels, these clothing, to point people to the fact that you're changed people. You're holy people. You're not slaves anymore. And I want you to live in accordance with your identity. Our actions, our behavior flows out of our identity. Oftentimes, we think our behavior creates our identity. That's kind of the cultural viewpoint. But in God's economy, our identity, our actions flow out of our identity. You know, we are sinners, so we sin. God changes us, and then he calls us hey, all right, I've made you holy. I've declared you holy. Now live in accordance with that holiness. Our identity defines our behavior. And God has changed the people of Israel. God has made the people of Israel a holy, special nation. And and God uses the contrast between who they were or who they had a propensity to be and who God is calling them to be. He uses the language of sexual infidelity. And in essence, he says, you have a, a tendency to go your own way. Literally, he says that you'd have a tendency to whore around. But I've called you to be a special, holy people. And so I believe God is reminding the people with this physical reminder, these tassels, every time you see that, remember who you are, remember what I've called you to, and live in accordance with that. Keep my commandments. There's a movie called Cinderella Man, and it's set in the Great Depression. It's about a boxer named James Braddock. And James Braddock was a great boxer, but he, his career was kind of cut short by our, by some severe uh, injuries and arthritis. And uh, he kind of leaves boxing for a while, and then he decides he's going to kind of get his way back in, and and he he works hard and trains and trains. And he goes back into the ring, and he's just winning fight after fight after fight. And he's just doing great, and it's kind of a a picture of hope for the nation. It's going through a very difficult time. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that are just kind of pulling for him, And he gets to a point where he's able to uh, be in the championship, the heavyweight championship. And he's facing a fighter named Max Baer, who was the champion at that point. And Bear was a vicious, vicious fighter. Uh, In fact, he was notorious for killing two people inside of the ring. And so, of course, people were scared for Braddock's safety and health. You know, of course, they're rooting for him, but this guy was vicious and fierce. Of course, Braddock himself, of course, was probably scared by uh, this opponent that he had. And so the day of the big fight comes, and Braddock is kind of in the locker room, way underneath the arena. And then there's a scene where Braddock's wife comes into uh, the locker room, and she just gives this look. Everybody else leaves the room. And she goes up to her husband with this kind of tender fierceness, and she says this. So you just remember who you are. You're the bulldog of Bergen and the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and the kid's hero. And you're the champion of my heart. And then, of course, he goes on to win that fight. I think God is doing something similar. He's telling the people of Israel, remember who you are. Remember who I've called you to be. Remember the commandments and live in accordance with them. God told the people of Israel that they need to remember. And I think he told them they need to remember because as human beings, we have a tendency to forget. If they forgot back then, I think even more so, we have a tendency to forget in our day and age. There's a lot of reasons maybe we forget. I think the biggest reason is distraction. Uh, technology is, in, in some ways, it's, it's kind of destroying our memories. You think about it and... Uh, how many phone numbers do you know? I mean, I know very few. Outside of my immediate family, I don't really know anybody's phone number. You know, I, I know a lot of people, it's like they don't, they don't even know their phone number or uh, their spouse's phone number. It's just they press the button. You know, and, and, you know, if we need to remember something, we set a reminder. We don't, you know, we don't put it in our mind to remember it. We set a reminder on our phone or put it in our calendar, And so, in some ways, technology is kind of causing us to forget some things. Um, Researchers from the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden, say that the online world's constant flux of information often results in a mental overload that can come to the detriment of short-term memory retention. So what they determined is that when you, say you open up a web page, and you look at the web page and there's a whole bunch of different information on that website. Uh, you know, you might have, there might be a video there, there might be a picture there, there might be a banner across the top, there might be multiple ads, there's headlines. And uh, you, you look at those things and it's like the brain doesn't know what you're supposed to remember. It doesn't know what is important because everything's calling for your attention. And so it's, your brain doesn't really know what should be remembered. You know, and then on top of that, the researchers suggest that uh, our brains don't rest enough. You know, we're often going from one thing to the next and sometimes glued to our uh, media, phone, or television, and it's like our brains don't have time to kind of consolidate those memories. And so we're so distracted by things that we sometimes have trouble remembering things. And I think that, you know, this can happen spiritually as well. It's not something, you know, it's not a sinful thing. It's just something that happens. We need to be intentional about watching for it. It's like, you know, we're just so distracted. It's like we maybe come to church Sunday morning and, you know, hear a message that just kind of speaks to us. And we're like, all right, yeah, I, I know that I need to change in this area of my life. And then we walk out the door, and as soon as we walk out the door, the hunger pains come. It's like, oh, what do we have for lunch? You know, then we're thinking, well, what are we going to do with the kids in the afternoon? And what do we have to do tomorrow? And what do we have to do to get ready for the week? And then we get to, to Monday morning, and then our inbox is full. And we have, you know, people calling for our attention. Then we get to uh, Monday afternoon. By Monday afternoon, someone asks us, so what was the message about yesterday? And we're like, uh, I don't know. I just know we talked a lot about clothes. That's all I know. Distraction can cause us to forget Another thing that causes us to forget is that sometimes we remember the wrong thing. Uh, I think uh, I've had it happen a number of times where I've been the one telling the story or listening to the story where it's like, you know, you're telling somebody uh, about this commercial that you saw on television, you know, and it's really funny and you're telling them all the details of what happened and then the question comes up, so what was the commercial for? Like, "Uh, I have no idea, an insurance company A drug company? Uh, I have no idea. And it's like we remember certain things and don't remember others. And of course, that's not necessarily a great commercial if you remember all the details about the commercial but don't remember what it's for. I think sometimes we remember the wrong things. We focus on the wrong things, not necessarily sinful things, but we fill our minds up with so much information that we don't have time for the things of God. It's like maybe we can memorize. We know every player and every, every NFL team. We know all of their stats. Or maybe we can recite the lines of our favorite movie. Maybe we know all the political talking points of our particular political position. But then when it comes to knowing God's word, it's like, I, I don't think I could ever memorize scripture. It's, but it's like our minds are occupied with all of these other things that we don't have the energy to remember the things of God. There's a story that's told of an old professor who went to visit a monk that was known for his wisdom uh, and his understanding. And so the professor walks into the temple, and the professor, he just wanted to tell the monk all of his theories and achievements and accomplishments and all these things. And he just starts talking and talking and talking and talking. The monk can't get a word in edgewise. So after a few minutes of, of the monk just kind of listening to him ta- talk about his accomplishments, he asked him, so uh, would you like a cup of tea? He says, sure, I'll have a cup of tea. And then he just kept talking, talking about his accomplishments, talking about all of his theories and propositions. And so the monk brews the tea, pours the tea, and it goes up to the top, and then the monk just keeps pouring it, keeps pouring it. Finally, the professor looks and says, What are you doing? Don't you see that it's overflowing the top? The monk replied and said, this cup is like your mind. It can't take anything new because it's already full. Sometimes we have trouble remembering because we remember the wrong things. Final reason I think we sometimes forget is kind of this, I'll call it the out-of-sight, out-of-mind syndrome. It's like we forget something because it's not in the forefront of our consciousness. There was a man from uh, Sweden a few years ago who actually lost his boat, forgot about his boat. Uh, Apparently, he left his boat in the harbor for two years. Uh, Nobody knew whose it was. um, And apparently, he thought that he had sold it. What's remarkable about that is it was worth $108,000. I don't know what he thought he did with the money from that, but it was out of sight, out of mind. It was like it was there, he moved on, forgot about it. Or there's a guy uh, from Germany who parked his car and thought that he lost his car. Eventually, he thought that it was stolen. He reported it stolen in 1997. uh, About two decades later, they found the car. It was exactly where he had left it when they went to do some construction work. But he put it somewhere, forgot about it, thought it was gone and I think we can do something similar spiritually as well. It's like as soon as we're outside of our devotions, as soon as we're done reading our Bible or spending a few minutes praying, it's like it's gone. It's like it doesn't impact our life anymore. It's like out of sight, out of mind. So those are some reasons maybe we forget the things of God. So Then the question comes, so what does this mean for us today? Uh, Am I suggesting that we should walk around and wear tassels? Well, Jewish people do that today. They actually have, uh, if you see Orthodox Jews, they will wear those tassels. But that's not something uh, I don't think that God is calling us to do. But I think this passage shows us that God is calling Israel to keep the commandments of God at the forefront of their mind. Not to let it go by the wayside. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, God puts it even clearer. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them As a sign on your hand, they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so God tells the people of Israel, remind yourself of the things of God. Do whatever is necessary. Put it on your doorpost. Put it on your arms. Because you have this propensity to forget. So you need to do whatever you have to to remember. I think God calls us to do the same thing. We need to do whatever is necessary to keep the gospel at the forefront of our mind. I think this is one of the greatest challenges for us as believers in the world that we live in. To not just have Christianity and Jesus be a part of our life, but to be our life. To not just confine Jesus to Sunday morning or to our devotions, but to allow him to permeate every portion of our heart. In the book of Romans, Paul says this. He says, "...but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh." to gratify its desires. Another word to translate put on is to clothe. Paul says clothe yourself with Christ. Put on Christ. Make him be the at the forefront of your mind. Do whatever is necessary to make the gospel the center of your heart. So how do we do that? Well, I think it looks different for each person. There's no prescription in the scripture for how to do that. For some of us, maybe... We need some kind of physical reminder to help us with that. Maybe, you know, maybe it's wearing a cross necklace or a bracelet. Uh, Maybe it's putting a Bible verse on our mirror so that when we're getting ready, we see that Bible verse and reminded of the things of God. Maybe it's putting, sign a scripture verse on our wall at work. Maybe it's setting a reminder on our phone to pray or to be reminded of the things of God. Maybe it's following a devotional reading plan, getting into God's word, getting into scripture. Maybe it's talking with other believers. This can be so helpful to talk about the things of God with other believers. Oftentimes, you know, we get together and we talk about, you know, the weather or the bills or whatever the case may be. But talking about the things of God can bring them to our remembrance, help us to apply those things to our life. Another thing, you know, we talked about the app and uh, the church app and Uh, One reason for that is to help us grow together and help us to put the things of God at the forefront of our minds. And specifically, that digging deep scripture reading. It's like, you know, not just leaving uh, God's word to Sunday morning, but getting in God's word each and every day. And it's just, we've made it as easy as possible to go in there and try to uh, just apply the things that we're learning to our lives and get in God's word. There's a lot of different things that we can do, but I think all of us, we need reminders because our hearts have a tendency to drift. Our hearts have a tendency to forget the things of God and to focus on things that don't matter. And so this passage is a reminder that we need to do whatever is necessary to put Christ at the center of our lives. There's a man by the name of Alan Craft, and he uh, talks about how he was trying to drink more water and uh, he talked about how, for his uh, his age and for his weight, he needed to have like 16 cups of water a day. And so he goes to work and he brings this pitcher, and he puts that uh, that pitcher on his desk. And it was a reminder to him that each time that he passed there, he had to fill up his water, uh, fill, fill up his water cup. He talks about how that experience reminded him that he had to be intentional if he was going to be hydrated. He continues and says this, I had to stop periodically in the midst of my busyness to become aware of my body's need for liquid, take a few moments to drink a glass of water. In a similar way to drink deeply of Jesus is to build into our lives frequent moments in which we intentionally stop and become aware of his presence with us, allowing him to hydrate our soul no matter where we are or what we're doing. This intentionality is often referred to as practicing the presence of Christ. We can practice it anytime, anywhere, While standing in a crowded elevator, driving on a highway, working at our cubicle, waiting for some medical tests, taking an exam or lying awake at night. We need to do whatever is necessary to put Christ, put the gospel at the forefront of our minds. And so the question I'll leave with you is, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to put Christ at the forefront of your mind? What do you need to do so that Christ and God's word saturates every corner of your heart, every corner of your life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that because of the cross, you changed our identity. We're no longer headed for an eternity, separated from you, but we're chosen, we're loved. And you call us, we know, to live out of that identity. Lord, as we go throughout our week, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to put you in the forefront of our mind. That even when we're going around doing the mundane things of life, even in the busyness, that we would have reminders that you're with us, you're for us, and you've called us to be a special people. Lord, teach us how to do that, Lord. Teach us what we need to do to stay close to you as we live our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.